You're listening to the Global Sales Leader Podcast with your host, Jason Cooper. This is episode 26, part one with Catherine Brown. Um, I think you're going to enjoy this. Uh, It's all about mindset and how to find a successful mindset in sales professionals. Excellent. We are live to the world. So good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. And wherever you are in this wide, wonderful, beautiful world that we have, you're very welcome to the Global Sales Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Cooper. I'm a sales strategist, sales coach. I help build better relationships that last and build it to the bottom line. Today, and this series, as always, this series is all about insightful leaders Insightful leaders, sales leaders that have a slight difference. I always like to have an eclectic view of different types of people. So my guest has an extraordinary job and uh, it's one uh, very talented. And I say that because um, I we bumped into each other on Clubhouse, that amazing phenomenon that's happened out there at the moment. And uh, I jumped in on Catherine's room probably in March time. I think I, I came across the room when I joined, actually, when I was uh, nicking my wife's iPhone. And uh, Catherine was B2B sales magic. So, Catherine, you're very welcome. Thank you so much. I am delighted to be here. I love to talk about sales and sales leadership. And I'm so glad to get to know you better over these last few months. Uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, look, we're going to be talking about the mindset of successful sales but the first and foremost let's give a quick introduction to uh about yourself like you've actually just launched a brand spanking new book in may and i'm dying to get my hands on it um i love to read and i love to learn i have a collective view of learning so how good humans sell the proven path to b2b sales success um you're actually from texas is that right That's correct. I have lived in several different states, but I was born in Texas. And four years ago, my family moved back for a professional opportunity, actually, that my husband had. I was already self-employed, so I could go along nicely for that. So we returned to to Texas several years ago. Don't have a Texan accent. Uh, A a really good friend of mine, uh, uh, Brian Flanagan, um, he's a sales trainer, ironically enough, but he's a full on Texas accent. But you don't have that at all. So you're, you're slightly different. I mean, a good friend of mine over here, has got a really thick uh, Texan accent, but you have a, you don't have that. I don't. I, I do have some words I use that only people from Texas or the South use um, in the Southern United States. So, you know, you'll hear a y'all every once in a while in certain context. You'll hear, uh, um, we're gonna, (laughs) those, those, those tend to come out in casual conversation, but I think I do have some vocabulary that slips in. Awesome. Now, oh, you're you're a veteran over 25 years. That's similar to me, actually, of business to business. I would say B2B, but the acronyms and all that. So we're in a selling platform. Everyone should know that. Uh, Catherine, understand what it means to start a business and build success during challenging times. And this is probably my third challenging times. 1990s was the property boom and bust. 2000 dot com crash. I was there with you as well. And then 1998 the financial, and then this mad global pandemic thing that we have at the moment, which is uh, 
you know, it's one of those things. And you've been self-employed for a number of years. Mm -hmm. You understand the areas of psychology and how people's heart work and the brain and how uh, how to communicate more effectively with people. Really understand, I always like to say, well, it's soft skills, but I think it's people skills, to be honest yes. with you. I think, too, Jason, when people say psychology of selling, I was using that expression in my own marketing for a while. And I had a client tell me after he did a course with me, he said, Catherine, just so you know, he just volunteered this to me, which was such a gift because we don't know what we don't know. Right. Yeah. He said, he said, just so you know, when you say psychology of sales, he said to a person who has sales reluctance, which he was ascribing this condition to himself. He said to a person who has sales reluctance, when I hear psychology of selling, he said, I think how you manipulate a buyer. But he said, when you say psychology of selling, I've come to understand that most of the time you're actually talking about what is going on in the heart and the head of the seller. Yeah. Now, I do think it's important we also think about the motives and values of the buyer. So it's not that I never talk about that, but I thought that was so interesting because there's so many examples like that, Jason, where we say words and we think they're clear and they have a different meaning to someone else who also uses those words regularly, but means something different when they say them. So that was such a gift to me that he told me that because the last thing I want to do is appear that I'm offering sales training classes about manipulating buyers. And how would I have known that that was being perceived that way unless he told me? Yeah, I think that's a, 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 a slight different. I think it's the mm -hmm. linguistic language on how we actually effectively communicate with others. I always like to say it's in a positive sense unless you're talking about scarcity, which is a negative positive, because sometimes you need to go negative to, to rein in the positive. So describe to me um, how you got into what you do and what was the sort of anchor points along the way? And when I mean anchor points, what changed along the way to make you Catherine Brown that you are now? Super. I'll tell you four buoys in the ocean, okay? Four, four key things that happened. When I graduated university, I, I got a music degree and I actually thought I was going to be a professional musician. And I mentioned that because I believe all those years on stage served me because one of the things I learned to do early was recognize the physiological responses that I was having to nerves and learn to master them, learn to channel, to channel those and learn to master those because everyone feels nervous. Fear of public speaking is such a big thing. And learning to manage myself in a nerve wracking, potentially nerve wracking situation was really critical. However, the first buoy was graduating university, having only used my summers for music festivals and practicing percussion because oh, wow. I decided I did not want to do that professionally. And so I had to go find a business job. And Jason, I literally did not even know what the job titles meant because I had not had an internship. My parents were um, not in corporate. So I literally didn't know if I read a title like chief information officer, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what any title meant. So through a series of interviewing and temping, I started to realize that the interviewer's job was called corporate recruiter. Mm -hmm. And I thought, 
I could interview people for a living. That looks really interesting. So that helped me narrow a search. And I literally began honing in on entry level recruiting positions, thinking I'll get to meet people all day long. They'll teach me the things I don't know and I can do this job. So my first two positions out of university were for corporate recruiting, which is sales. Right. You yeah, are yeah. Yeah. qualifying each other and bringing them on, inviting them to come work for your company. So this it was in the second job that I transitioned to selling consulting services with that firm. And I was essentially promoted from recruiter to account manager and I was assigned to sales territory. Wow. That was an opportunity for me. This was now now we're in the late 90s, mid to late 90s. And so now this is an opportunity to sell high tech professional consulting services to all different industries. I was put through several frameworks of different sales training systems. So I started to recognize the patterns of those that, yeah, of, of that yeah. material. And I did that for several years and I, I did great at it. I enjoyed it very much. I love to travel. It was great. The next buoy was that I had two children. My husband and I uh, were married at that point. I had two children. And the next buoy was that I didn't want I wanted to get off the road for a little while. And I was trying to think about what I could do to work from home. Mm -hmm. So th this was in 2002 at this point. And remote work was very uncommon, as you know. Yeah, and yeah, cool. I started to think, what do I know how to do that I could do for people? And I realized that if you look at the whole sales life cycle, I realized that I enjoyed the meeting people, initiating, even cold calling and prospecting development. I enjoyed that part more than I actually enjoyed ongoing account management and negotiating and closing. And yeah, so yeah. I started to think, I think people will pay me to cold call for them. And they did. <laughs> so. Wow. My first venture into entrepreneurship was a firm called Initial Call. I had it for 15 years. And at one point I had, was up into the low 20s on, of contractors, like maybe 22, 23, 24 part-time contractors who, whom I assembled into teams and we prospected for other companies, white label, ask, acting as if we were their employees. Mm -hmm. The next buoy, so I did that for 15 years. The next buoy, and, and I talk about this, Jason, in the, in the opening chapter of uh, my book, one client that we had for several years was a benefits consulting firm. They have very long sales cycles because these are people who want you to switch over your entire private insurance, 401k, and all of your corporate benefits to yes, yeah. them to manage, right? So it's a big deal sales cycle because it's very cumbersome, paperwork intensive and challenging to get a big corporation to switch. So we were producing leads for years for this company. And we were noticing that not only this client, but also many others kept saying the same thing. They said, they would say every time, Jason, every time in a sales call, they would say to me, the vice president of sales or the principal of the firm, they would say, we just need more leads. If we had more qualified leads, I know my team would be fine. We have a lead volume problem. And for years, I didn't recognize the pattern. I just kept believing that every circumstance was unique and that there was something individual about the challenge that they were experiencing. And after a while, I started to see a pattern and I realized 
everybody thinks this is their problem, but that's not their only problem. They cannot close the leads we're bringing to them. Mm-hmm. They, if the lead was not immediately interested with urgency in their timing and was really going to need any kind of nurturing, I would say even only a several month nurturing, there were all these psychological obstacles. What I came to realize were psychological obstacles. They were not system obstacles, but they were psychological obstacles where the producers or the account managers or the BDRs or whatever their title was, they would not follow up enough because they, I believe, got inside their own head and started to make a lack of response mean something it didn't mean. And then guess what would happen? People would point back to my firm and they would say that wasn't a very good lead. And that wasn't true. I mean, I had all kinds of measures in place, quality control, right? So that put me, that's the last buoy was that realization. And that propelled me into my second company. So I found a really lovely way to transfer those accounts that I had with initial call to a trusted partner of mine. I didn't sell the business, but I I transferred them over with an ongoing relationship with her. And I decided I am going to help people take those opportunities and close more consistently. And it kind of came full circle because it really was the first part of the sales cycle that got me interested in that first business. But then I realized there really are challenges all the way through. And so four years ago, that's when I wrote out my sales training curriculum and decided to make my full-time attention to be sales training and coaching, helping people have it become a true statement like what that model prospect used to say where they would say we just have a problem if you can get us in front of in front of the client we can we can do well but we just have a lead volume problem i want that to be true for them yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's all, all kinds of ways to generate good leads but now that can become more true when people work with me because we can figure out what is going on that you are not doing the things that you know you're supposed to do most people know at some level what they're supposed to be doing but they can't bring themselves to do it yeah i think there's uh, an area of uh maybe imposter syndrome or there's an area of how people visualize stuff in their heads and how they talk to themselves is one of the biggest things it's been said again and again but um every time i speak about it they, they some people go what are you on about i i, I was even on a, a a call today earlier on but it is so true. Everyone that I've interviewed is people visualize success or they internalize failure. And if you believe you can or if you believe you can't, then you're right. Um, I always do analogy is if you speak to yourself, imagine a big supercomputer and you're typing in, I can't do it. Whatever displays on the screen is what the computer will go and find. But if you display in the screen, I will, I can do it, I will overcome, I have to redo it, or whatever it might be in a positive sense, your brain will find the answer. And it's so true. Look, I'm really excited about, um, I think people that have a musical background like yourself think slightly differently because once you understand music and once you can see music and read music, Einstein was one of those people that uh, I think he was uh, on a clarinet or violin or something like that. Hmm. Like, We know about Einstein and his theory and this, that, and the other. But when you understand music, it's slightly different. Your brain starts to think in a slightly different way. And I'm fascinated with that. But I'm also fascinated uh, what also influenced you to do what you do. Mm -hmm. 
Well, my husband definitely has had a significant influence. As you and I were talking before we started recording, yeah. he's a social science researcher. So one of the things I've had the benefit of a couple decades now of influence is the research that I have become privileged to come to know so well as a non-professional psychologist. Yeah. There's such there's so much rich literature, Jason, about why people in any role, so this is outside of the human role, just any role, why people do things they do. Yeah. And we can so easily bring that in. It's really quite easy. If you, once you see the connection, realize, oh, this is relevant to me. I need to bring this into selling. You, yeah. you lay it on top of selling. And so then you can talk about things like cognitive dissonance. How is it that a person can believe two opposing views about a single topic at the same time. Turns out everyone does. Sales is helping, sales is icky, right? I'm awesome, I'm a fraud, right? Yeah. Everybody does this, everybody does this. Then when you normalize and help people understand, oh, what this data and what this research shows is that everybody does that. There's this normalizing effect that is such a relief to people because we actually think we're alone. We, we think people don't relate to us. And when you can get in a community of support of people who are on a journey of recognizing when they have beliefs that are unhelpful and calling them out and creating strategies for change, then we can progress. Yeah, I totally and utterly concur with you. I just want to, uh, uh, like, we're listening to the Global Sales Leader podcast. Today, I've got a really wonderful, special, incredible guest, Catherine Brown. And, like, we're, like, we're talking about um, uh, Catherine's history, but I'm really fascinated in why people do what they do, and especially that mindset, success. I think that I've been studying this a lot. And what are the core key elements behind what people think and what makes success? So like, I'm going to throw the question back to you uh, uh, because I'd like to get your point of view as well because I'm, I'm actually interviewed today. So I, I want to make sure that I learn and also that the audience listens and learn as well. And if they can take some golden nuggets along the way, which all helps us share and grow and learn. And that's what the part and parcel of why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Sounds great. So that's the question. Uh, it's a it's a big, long, faluted question out there. So, what do you? What's your take on uh, successful mindset? What's one one of the core areas that people need to have? Self awareness. So, one of the dimensions. I know you've had other guests on the podcast who have talked about emotional intelligence. There are different ways of yeah. measuring a person's emotional intelligence. And thank goodness, emotional intelligence is something that we can all grow in. So we want to remember Carol Dweck's research on a growth mindset and recognize that we absolutely with practice, coaching and practice and feedback, we can get better at these critical functions that are the people skill sides of things. Yeah. So yeah. knowing where we are at present and what we want to work on to get to the next level, whatever that next level is for someone else, self-awareness is a really big part of it. It's kind of shocking, really. Let's, let's. Um, I don't want to name names. You and I can probably think of a number of people that we admire from a distance, but when you get to know them, there'll be something about emotional intelligence that you'll think, 
wow, when you were speaker on a stage, I didn't have the opportunity to see that you're not reading the room very well. Yeah. <laughs> you're not sensing my emotion very well, or you don't seem to understand that you are projecting something other than what you think, right? Because people are at various places of understanding how to read the emotions of others and how to understand what it is that they're feeling. Mm -hmm. So everyone is somewhere on that journey and understanding where you are on the journey is very critical so that you can start to set a strategy of what to work on. Yeah. I also think it's charismatic. Uh, you've got to have a certain area of charisma charismatic. I can't I haven't, haven't mm -hmm. been saying it today. Charisma. charisma. Got there in the end. Mm -hmm. uh, there's there's a certain thing behind charisma. What makes charisma? Because I think some of the mm -hmm. most successful uh, speakers, uh, I've seen a lot of them. I've seen some really phenomenal ones and not some phenomenal ones. I'm having well, trouble with my words today, but we'll get there. Uh, but also, I think that comes with a salesperson as well. They have a certain charismatic way about them, an ambience, um, something that's about them. They have that glow around them, which automatically sense. But I think there's some, I know there's some things that you can do to adjust yourself with that. Like you have that as well. You have that instant, When even when I heard you on Clubhouse, you had that instant charisma whether it's your tone your tonality you can hear it in your voice when you speak mm. you pronounce where you do that so that's probably an added value forward for you when you speak so what are the other areas? oh let's talk about charisma what, yeah, what let's, talk, let's talk about that because i think i agree with you I, I i can't do a quick search without it being too distracting but i'm thinking charisma is like the greek word charis C-H-A-R-I-S, I believe that that means life. Do you know? Yeah. I, think, I think that means life. Right. So, so let's, let's go with that. There is something about the life energy that's coming from that person. I, I can agree with you on that point. One thing I would like to bring up here is to say, I am asked all the time, all the time, Jason. I mean, I would say every eight or 12 week course I do, someone asked this question. Do I think you have to be extroverted to be successful in selling? And I want to make sure for your listeners benefit that we say charisma and your basic disposition of introversion or extroversion. And that's a scale also. Research says that being an introvert, and extrovert, there's a scale in between. So you're mapped somewhere on the scale. Some people are very far over one way. Some people are very far over the other. That is not the same. I think mm -hmm. is what you're saying, because it's so important with that growth mindset that we understand it doesn't matter where you are on the scale. If becoming better at selling is important for your work and it's something you want to do, I believe anyone can learn. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, I just think I feel very strongly it's important to say that because it, are there some natural abilities that might be genetic in someone that make some of the aspects of the job easier? Sure. Maybe so. Yeah. Like, like if you, if you find if referral networking is an essential part of the work and you find going to events or participating in a 50 person zoom with a networking event, if you find that distasteful, and <laughs> you just really don't enjoy it. That's going to be a challenge for you, but, yeah, but yeah. there could still be strategies around that. So I think that's I think that's what charisma is not. What do you say about that? Yeah, I think there's a charisma is a certain I think there's a certain thing about a person. So 
let's have a look at the introvert. An introvert person might not necessarily be the best uh, at a party, so a party situation. And I, I'm saying this from uh, uh, someone I actually know who's a phenomenal speaker. Mm -hmm. uh, like he goes to a party and he's shy away in the corner because he's introverted, he's a bit of a geek, but he's phenomenal with his language. But you get him out on a stage, he just, you're just like, where did this person come from? He's phenomenal. And on, like, he's, he's, a, he's a coach, mentor, psychologist and all of that, but he does Zoom stuff. And, like, you go, well, he's in the room, but he's probably on his own. And he sees it that way. So I think there's an introvert, extrovert, but introverts are also very good on their own time. So that's why COVID for them has been phenomenal. So on a one-to-one -one level, they're brilliant. But in a group setting, probably not so good. Whereas extroverts, um, we probably find it more challenging that we're stuck in a room. Uh, and But we want to be out there networking. We want to be out there doing what we need to do. So there's, I think there's a slight adjustment there in, in the two. Uh, and I'm saying that from knowledge. But... Uh, what do, what do you think on that? Because I'm, I'm fascinated. Yeah, I do as well. So I, I think that I will actually say as an extrovert, I actually believe introverts have a slight advantage in selling. And this is what I mean by that. If the most of the work of selling is one-on-one -on -one qualifying conversations, if that's what it is, that's really where people who prefer smaller groups shine. Yeah, and absolutely. and the ability to give that person, that prospect, a platform to ask thoughtful questions. Typically, these are speaking in stereotypes, but typically people who are naturally more introverted are more comfortable with silence. They are they will pace themselves a little bit differently. It is not important for them to have center of attention. Uh -huh. And those people, I love to train people like that because when I say to them, a successful sales call is your prospect talking 70% of the time and you talking 30% of the time, extroverts, they just want to die. You know, when I say that, I mean, they're like, they know that they're presenting and talking about themselves too much. They can hardly help themselves until someone says, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. And introverts like, oh, so if I ask the right questions, I could really make a go at this. And the answer is yes, absolutely. So I think there is even a slight advantage on the with the majority of what a sales professional's work is, which is conversations like this, one-on-one. Yeah. -on -one. That's where they shine. I always do this when I'm in uh, when I'm doing some training or coaching, uh, mainly training if there's a few people around there. So I get a lot of them in there and I get them all to speak at the same time. All of them speak at the same time. And then I get them to stop said, right, did you hear what anyone else said? And they go, no. I said, well, that's what's going on in your head right now. Because what you're doing is you're, you're thinking too much about the next question. You're also thinking about what you're having for cups of tea, but you're also thinking about yourself. You're listening to the Global Sales Leader Podcast with your host, Jason Cooper. This is episode 26, part one with Catherine Brown. Um, I think you're going to enjoy this. Uh, it's all about mindset and how to find a successful mindset in sales professionals. <laughs> 